are listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, it's time again for Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rashid Bittar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And I have to say, Doc, I'm feeling really good because every day gets one step closer to our reunion in San Diego at the Best Answer for Cancer with our, also our friend uh, Dr. Tony Jimenez. And, uh, you know, the only thing, we won't have Ty Bollinger there to kick around. Right, right. Well, uh, yeah, it's going to be a couple of the people there that I haven't seen in in uh, in a year or two, so it'll be good. Definitely be excellent. Good. But excellent. Are we, are we, we going to broadcast from there, by the way? Because I think we'll be there on a Sunday, right? I think so. I think we could probably do some recording and some live stuff together as well. So plan ahead for that. So I'm just now. I just finally made the hotel reservations. I want to remind you too, because I think if you're going to stay out there for Best Answer for Cancer, the the seminar rates are like one thirty nine a night, and they expire maybe even today. So you can do that online if you go to Best Answer for Cancer. We have it linked up, a big banner in the show notes, too. You can check it out, robertscottbell.com. So anyway, that's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff, obviously, uh, from a global geopolitical discussion of the, you know terrorism dangers and you know attacks. And, and I often read these articles and, and almost see, if, if I just replace a few words, we're talking about doctors and what they do to patients, right? Terrorizing patients with chemotherapy. And I'm not even talking for cancer. Our lead story tonight goes into the issue of antibiotics. Now, I've been calling them a form of chemo for many years. A lot of people get upset with me because it's kind of hits close to home. They want to, they, they don't, it's not like they want more antibiotics, but they don't want to feel like they're taking something as strong as chemo, which they think is very toxic for obviously for cancer patients. But in reality, we're finding the devastating impacts on, uh, of antibiotics are, are as serious or as precipitating perhaps even cancers later in life. Without a doubt, it's uh, it's something that we've talked about uh, altering the terrain aspect yes. um, for for literally decades. Uh, that's one of the reasons that looking at severe hormonal disruptions, cases of severe severe immune suppression, um, things that we can't figure out what it is. These undiagnosed conditions that have four or five descriptive words like you know demyelinating idiopathic demyelinating polyneuropathy or some of these diagnoses that have three or four or five words in them, um, what I call the difficult to diagnose or undiagnosed doctors don't know what to do. You start <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out how do I approach that type of patient. I always go back to the gut. The gut is like one of the, it's like the ABCs in trauma, airway, breathing, circulation. So when in doubt, go to the gut and start looking at the gut mm-hmm. and start trying to get balance of the gut. It doesn't even know, matter whether you know what's going on. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, true, though. Identify it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if you if you can identify what's wrong or not. Just go to the gut and start looking at the basics. You know, uh, what what's the fungal counts? What's the dysbiotic flora? Is it adequate um, beneficial bacteria? If not, then the type of probiotics you supplement them with. Get the short chain acids, fatty acids together. The digestion, the absorption, the assimilation, all those aspects. Just start getting that balanced, and you will have a remarkable response because all the other symptoms that the person's suffering from that are 
leading them to go to different doctors all over trying to figure out what the diagnosis is, they start to resolve. And suddenly, mm-hmm. the diagnosis no longer matters. They're getting better. And so the gut, to me, has always been the, the final frontier type thing in medicine. You know, that's the one thing yes. that we think we know a lot of, and we, let, we don't very little. We know it's the second brain of the body. There's a lot of neurotransmitters found inside the brain uh, that are also found within the gut. So there's a lot of interesting uh, things that we've known for decades, and now this study brings home an association that we've known uh, and, and observed, but now it clinically validates it with a study. Yeah, let me let me tell everybody what the study is. And by the way, I was just in Dallas uh, to give a lecture on allergies. And of course, I could say, listen, we can replace the drugs I grew up on for all of my allergies and use natural things, homeopathic, silver, other things. We can do that. We can do herbs. But if you're just chasing the symptom with an herb, you're kind of doing allopathic medicine light. It's not as toxic, granted, but it's not the same as going to the heart of where it starts or the gut of where it starts, the gut. And so we talk about leaky gut as the basis for a lot of these hyperimmune or aberrant immune responses. And so that's where we want to go. But the overuse and abuse of antibiotics, and again, I'm poster child for that. Never once did doctors tell my mom and dad or me when I was old enough that I should get on a probiotic. Not once with probably hundreds of, I don't know what I'm exaggerating here. I've been on so many antibiotics before I woke up. This study now coming out is, is a little bit of a shocker, but not unexpected for us. It says antibiotics that kill gut bacteria also stop growth of new brain cells. This is in Science Daily. And it, it, really, it really strengthens my argument that you should not take antibiotics lightly, right? We, we, they're there as a last resort when all else fails. I understand that. But for the first, second, and third, and even fourth resort, it's really a dangerous game to be playing because there's a lot you're going to have to correct. And if you don't know how to do it, You'll suffer for years like I did, or worse, these kids that are being ripped apart, and, and now they wear colostomy bags because the doctors only gave them antibiotics and prednisone until that's, well, that's all they had left. Yeah, I mean, that's a terrible, terrible combination, steroids with uh, antibiotics. But, you know, I don't want to digress from this point that you're making, and I'll let you continue making it, Robert, but there's one thing sure. that I do think we need to interject here, and that is that in early on in my career, for the first maybe after I left uh, the military and was in private practice, probably for the first five years, so looking at like the mid-19, like 1996 to like maybe 2000, 2001, um, I still felt that, you know, if you need antibiotics, you use them. But, again, you know, one week, it's not a big deal. I still feel that way, generally speaking, if, if that's what the case is. But in the first five years, I thought that antibiotics would be a faster, more efficient, more effective regimen. In the last 15 years, with some of the things that we've gotten, some of the things I've experienced from other places, you know, you know about the silver aspect. We've been using silver yep. in many different aspects intravenously, intranasally, um, you know, from a nebulizing standpoint. Right. Uh, besides that, some of the different herbal components, um, The uh, we have certain mixes that we do. In fact, even intravenous now that we do with, uh, with the homeopathics that are all herbal-based. I have found that in without any reservations whatsoever, that... Use of antibiotics, initially, it's almost like saying, okay, well, you know, um, I'm really, really hungry, so I'm going to pick up this peanut and eat it versus having a full seven-course meal with steak and everything. And you're saying when you go with the antibiotic, right, it's almost like you're in starvation mode and you're going to get that peanut because that's about as effective as it is at satiating you as opposed to the seven-course meal because the herbal combinations and some of the things that we've been doing like with the use of silver, they are so much more dramatically effective. Sinus infections, as an example, they yes. are notoriously difficult.
difficult to deal with because you have to penetrate the sinuses. Yet, if you just um, take this in through an inhaler two, three times, and within 24 hours, you're feeling better. Not that it's going to resolve in two, 24 hours, but you start feeling symptomatic relief sure. in 24 hours, maybe even in 12 hours, whereas with antibiotics, you may not start feeling better till the sixth, seventh, eighth day of the course of antibiotics. And with the natural regimen, by the third day, you're pretty much done. You can still do it maybe once or twice you know, for the next couple of days just to make sure you got everything, but within three or four or five days, you're done with the whole treatment. Well, and, so, and, no, and no harm that you're going to have to rebuild the body from. And also, think about this, no resistance developing to new microbes the next time it might happen. Exactly. Exactly. But the, but the reason that I brought this up is because in most doctors' thought processes and in many patients' thought processes, sure. the antibiotics are the first-class citizens and the Natural herbal components are the third-class, lower-rated citizens. And in actuality, it's quite the opposite. And when you experience the efficacy of the natural stuff, if done right, that, you know, there's a number yes. of different things you can combine. They become so much more powerful than antibiotics. It still wows me. I mean, I've had patients that were septic that I gave intravenous components to and then mm-hmm. sent them to the hospital because I knew that they were septic. Their white counts were in the 25, 27,000 range. They were disoriented. They didn't know who they were. Their, their blood pressures were, you know, bottoming out. I, I give them two different IVs, one just nutritional-based, one um, combination of what I'm talking about, just because I know they're not going to get that in the hospital, but I know that they need the hospital. I know that they need to be in intensive care unit. We send them to the hospital. The family gets the patient out of the car, you know, in the ER. They're kind of rushing them in the ER. And the patient says, what am I doing here? This patient... <laughs> 30 minutes ago, didn't know who they were. They didn't know, they didn't recognize their own kids. They didn't recognize, didn't know who the president was. They didn't know what year it was. And now they're asking, what am I doing here in the emergency room? That's how fast some of these things work. And the patient ended up not even having to be admitted in the hospital because they said by the time they got the white count, you know, it was already down to like the high, I mean, still very high, but it it, it dropped within just a few hours. So the point is that sometimes we think, oh, natural is, yes, it's better, but it's really ineffective or it's not as effective or it's slower efficacy or it's whatever like that not patient necessarily. that I told my story about the chemo, the chemo patient the patient that was a, a drug rep and had always known that she would go the alternative route what she called the alternative route if she ever had cancer but then when she got cancer she didn't expect it to get when she was so young so what did she do she'd get chemo and radiation because she wanted to knock it out first and then go back to the natural and I'm like right. what are you talking about you totally missed the whole boat what you just said one, you don't create side effects. That's a key. Two, you don't become resistant to the treatment. That's another key. But here's a real key. It's better and more effective if you really want to get better. Forget about the fact about all these other advantages. In, in today's world, if you use an effective, that's a key word, effective natural regimen, it is going to have more faster, it's going to have a more, more effective uh, response, but it's going to have a faster onset of response, and it's going to have a lower course of treatment. So when we get sick, don't we want to be sick uh, for a shorter period of time so we can resolve faster and we have a most effective treatment? And that's what the point is, that it's not even all the other aspects that we've talked about for many years. I'm now finding in the last 10 years especially, with the effective concoctions, you can actually negate the effects of antibiotics. Yeah, well, of course, we, we don't want to have to reverse everybody because we we got a lot of repair already going, but it is a question of does the doctor, when in, when it's appropriate to consult with one, know how to work this successfully? Because if you do, I've seen reversal of necrotic tissue without the use of yeah. antibiotics. 
I mean, that's the thing that you say, oh, that can't be done. No, it can be. It has been done. It's continuing to be done. But we've got to teach people this advanced medicine. So we're going to continue talking about this. And this particular article also references the, the, the damage to uh, new brain cell growth. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that to, to kind of drive it home to let you know that the antibiotics should not be the first resort. Moms and dads out there, you're listening. I know you don't want to use more. I have had the great fortune of learning this stuff in time to have kids so that my kids have not had to use antibiotics in their entire life. And it's not that they may never, ever need it, but I haven't found the reason for it based on what I know, what Dr. Batar knows. So we'll be back to discuss this and a whole lot more advanced medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check it out, robertscottbell.com. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Uh, if you ever miss an hour of advanced medicine each week, you can easily download it at the archive at medicalrewind.com. This special hour, only available there, medicalrewind.com. Of course, uh, you can get the general show all the time through our syndicator, GCN, of course, at robertscottbell.com in the archives at SoundCloud, and across the pond, UK Health Radio, and more. But uh, we're talking antibiotics, and again, this is a, uh, for clarity's sake, we'll never say there's never a place for intervention of an allopathic variety. That's what it's there for. It's like uh, we've never argued there's never a place. But the point is, it's everywhere, and it shouldn't be everywhere. It should be in an appropriate place. Where is that place? Well, I guess, folks, until you learn, and doctors, until you learn, there are other things that can be as effective or even more effective then antibiotics for infection, you're going to keep falling back on the same thing and damage the patients, rip their guts out, and not know how to correct it. So now this latest article, this scientific paper, is saying not only is it harming the gut, but it's harming the brain, which makes sense to us, but now they're actually finding the pathways and the specific things that it's impacting. And, Dr. Batar, I think this only strengthens our argument that you've got to be cautious before you resort to an antibiotic. Without a doubt. And we have talked about how the gut is the second brain. Believe it or not, actually, this is one area in even conventional medicine, those that are not so much within the gastroenterologist, but more in the neurological community, at least some of the people that I dealt with when I was going through my educational phase, even back as far as 1983 when I graduated from high school and 1987 I graduated from Washington University. In that four-year period, I worked with a Dr. Robert Omley, who was a uh, neurophysiologist, and he was also a pediatrician. And we were doing actually brain transplants. I think we've talked about this a number of years ago on the air, but we were doing actually brain transplants with, with rats. We were taking prenatal uh, rats and then taking the frontal lobes and transplanting them in lobectomy sites of adult rats. And we had a very high success rate of transplant. It was something like in the 70%, but the problem was there was a lot of cancers associated with the reanastomosis of the brain tissue. But what was interesting was back then I remember Dr. Omley saying that there was a very significant connection between the gastrointestinal system and the, and the neurological system and that there was overlap. And I remember thinking that sounded strange. And, of course, we've talked about, and I think last week or two weeks ago, we talked about how there's nervous tissue. There's like another brain within the heart. And so when we're thinking from the heart, heart-based medicine, um, yes. you know, there's another component. So you start seeing how the, there's a brain in the gut, there's a brain in the heart, there's, there's a brain, t- not just nerve tissue, but actual like a self-contained thinking unit or a 
regulatory unit that has other than just regulation components and regulation uh, aspects to it, it becomes very fascinating. And then you realize that the last frontier is really inside the human body, as much as is uh, as is within, so is without type of thing. You know, the yes. universe continues outwards. Well, inside us, there's so much more that we have to learn. Yeah. So specifically with this pathway, and you probably understand it better than I do about what it's impacting. Uh, that they say it's impacting memory, neurogenesis, right? And I'm thinking neurogenesis, that would be nerve cell regeneration or growth, new brain cells. My goodness, that's pretty devastating because we've been told for years adults can't generate new brain cells. I always thought that was kind of silly because if you're alive, there's always regrowth and repair and replacement. So to think that it couldn't happen in the brain cells as well, I think it's silly. And now they're acknowledging it damages the the ability of the body to do that. The body exactly. Antibody. Well, the thing is, yeah, when they're talking about neurogenesis, they're talking about as uh, individuals actually growing, but the mainstream concept is that the brain tissue cannot regrow. Uh, you can't get new brain cells. You can't regrow brain cells, which is absolutely preposterous because back as far as I said, 1983, we'd already established that that is not the case. Uh, mainstream medicine will still say that brain tissues, once damaged, I said you can't recover them. That's why they believe that stroke patients can't be recovered and, and Alzheimer's can't be recovered and autism can't be recovered, and yet... All these things can be and have been recovered, and we've done it in our own clinics, and we've seen it done in other places as well. But the point being that this neurogenesis aspect, think of the most susceptible patient population to this problem would be the developing brain, right, the pediatric population. And we also have things, studies that have been done that show that use of certain types of chemicals with other chemicals, when I'm saying that, I'm specifically talking about thimerosal, which is ethylmercury, in conjunction with the use of antibiotics, like the tetracycline, the doxycycline specifically, but all antibiotics, actually increases the damage to the nerve tissue by 4-4, So, sure. this on itself is very damaging, but in the concomitant use of antibiotics increases at fourfold. So, and that's it, pretty, pretty impressive data, and it correlates now with what the study is showing. And you follow that on with Tylenol, which is often uh, prescribed to the pediatric population. And you got the reduction of glutathione production, and you've devastated the child. Again, iatrogenic destruction of the brain cells. Through all of these things, they mean well, but they're very mean in what they're actually doing. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Robert Scott Bell Show. Show. Well, I know you can't get enough advanced medicine, so that's why I'm encouraging you, inviting you all to join us in San Diego, April 27th, 28th, 29th, for the best answer for cancer. We've got a lot of great docs that are going to be uh, presenting there. Uh, Dr. Vitar, excited to connect with you, also our good friend Tony Jimenez and others. And uh, I just I just got your information on what you're presenting on. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, and, and I know that um, the focus is on cancer, but it looks like what you're talking about is going to be, let's say, beneficial for a heck of a lot more than just cancer when you talk about Allison-based therapies. And we used to talk about Allison-stabilized garlic years ago on the show. I mean, a long time ago is a really cool compound that they were able to stabilize from the garlic because it's a very reactive compound that's hard to, to get it to stabilize and stay there for that impact that it has in the body. Yeah, it, 
That's exactly right. And uh, we've been using this. Uh, I, I started working on a protocol over a year ago. I've been on it personally myself for about 10 months. And I can tell you that the results have been um, just unbelievable. And we've now tried it with 12 patients, and their results have been phenomenal. So it's been used in a combination of different uh, – there's a couple of different things that we're using in conjunction with it, but the, the predominant factor itself is that stabilized allicin. And then also the type of patient. So not only is it beneficial in circulatory issues and not only is it beneficial in cancer, but we've also found it to be very effective at getting rid of the biofilm and helping the body get rid of uh, fungal infections that – don't seem to be able to respond to many other conventional treatments or uh, integrative treatments for that matter either. So we've seen it have a very broad spectrum effect across three major medical dilemmas that are currently facing us on the planet. Yeah, very cool. Well, we've got the remedies here on advanced medicine each and every week, so uh, keep tuning in, folks, and learn more. Go to medicalrewind.com, of course, drbatar.com. We have the association, the IDFW, that you can uh, become a member of. Robert Scott Bell Show listeners can. If you're interested, let us know. We'll let you know how to do that and get you even more information. Now, one of the things, um, there's an article here uh, from, of course, CNN, which is largely fake news, as much of the uh, legacy mainstream media is. They say seven reasons we're at more risk than ever of a global pandemic. And I don't think any one of them was the overuse and abuse of antibiotics, which should have been, like, number one on the list, because if you destroy the gut, you destroy the immune system, what happens when you destroy the immune system? You become vulnerable to anything and everything going around, much less what you already have in your own body. But funny that they missed that one. Yeah, it it was almost, um, you know, diametrically opposed on the other side. They should have, if they're worried about being wiped out by viruses, then they need to really follow the chain, kind of like a forensics accountant would follow the chain of money. If you follow the chain, then how would viruses take over? Well, the viruses could only take over um, if, there was, if they were rendered to be just running rampant. But in actuality, the way it would happen would be that you start using antibiotics. The antibiotics then um, reduce the immune system. They make people become resistant to other forms of whatever bacteria they may be, and then you end up creating a dysbiosis, an imbalance, and that basically then prevents the natural barrier for the virus to propagate. So now the virus would end up propagating um, in, without anything holding it back, and that's what, if, if there was a way, a possibility that this could actually be a concern, that would be how it happens. It's interesting to also understand that human evolution is all based on viral replication. So the way our DNA, right. our RNA, the way we evolve is actually it's a viral-based system. So it's a communication. Be so yeah. To, yeah, exactly, the communication and how the replication occurs. So to say that viruses will wipe out the human race or, you know, the next catastrophe, whatever they're saying, it's just it's like saying, you know, the bunny rabbits are going to be the next uh, horror uh, right. show that people have to deal with. So it's Listen, only- the only one of, of their seven points that make any sense at all are what they call civil conflicts. Because if you live in a war-torn region where you have abject poverty, lack of sanitation, sewage, hygiene, and food, okay, that's going to manifest as disease. No question about that. The rest of it is, is, is just a bunch of, it's just garbage. It's just, it doesn't get to the heart of what really causes it. Even then when they say civil conflict, they don't understand why disease happens. They think, oh, well, it's because suddenly now you're going to be exposed to things. It's like, no, no, it's not just exposure. It's everything that precedes it. 
And then if you're exposed, of course, but you don't even have to be because if you're so devastated internally, you got everything within your body that can kill you, including candida. That's exactly right. So if you're susceptible, um, even a common cold will kill you. A, a patient that has that's suffering from the HIV or the, what we call AIDS, you know, the, the immune deficiency, um, or somebody whose immune system is really weak and like a cancer patient, they rarely ever die off the, in fact, I don't think they ever die off what, you know, the AIDS or the cancer. They usually die from some type of an opportunistic infection, like a common cold or a, they'll get right. pneumonia or something and it kills them, whereas a normal person, it wouldn't affect them so much. And then the question is, why is it that these people end up succumbing to these minor illnesses? It's because their immune systems have been annihilated. It has nothing to do with the, with the actual issue that they have. It's actually their immune systems have been so damaged and, and rendered um, obsolete that the normal common thing that our body can normally deal with incapacitates them and takes them out. Exactly. And here's the story about protecting yourself from candida auris fungal infection, which they say they call it deadly. I always thought it said the deadly E. coli infection, which it's not deadly when you're healthy. You know, E. coli can't yeah. take over. In fact, there is a strain, strains of E. coli that are normally occurring in your GI tract. Why do they alter? You know, why is there pleomorphism? If you alter the terrain, you alter what grows there. And they don't talk about this at all. They say, oh, my gosh, we're exhausting our antifungal medications now. Not just the antibiotics we've already talked about, but the antifungal medications, which are even more toxic to the liver. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I probably prescribed more antifungal medication uh, in Charlotte, actually in all of North Carolina, than all North Carolina doctors combined for a number of years. Um, and because I saw how important it was to deal with the fungus issue, but actually we don't use, we rarely use antifungals now because there are so many mm-hmm. other more effective ways of dealing with it. In fact, some of the, the stabilized allicin, which very, I haven't come across anything that's as effective as what we're working with right now, but that helps you get rid of the biofilm and actually has been very potently effective against the, um, the various types of funguses that people are affected by. So antifungal medication is very damaging to the liver. It's very toxic, um, and, and fungus is a major issue that we need to deal with. In fact, in many cases, cancer, I think, is mistaken uh, fungus is actually, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Fungus or fungal infections are mistaken for cancer, and the characteristics right. of cancer and fungus is very, very similar. They're exactly. anaerobic, exactly. They're, they're anaerobic uh, metabolizers. They, they don't like oxygen-rich environments. They're uh, obligate glucose metabolizers. They, you know, they they are um, they are very uh, susceptible to the environment. But if if you have light air movement, you know, the, think of mold. Where does mold grow? Mold grows in a warm environment. It grows in a, in a, a dark environment. It grows in a, a humid environment. And cancer is the same thing. It's dependent on a certain type of environment. So if you can change the environment, you can cut fungus, you can poison fungus, you can burn fungus, it'll still come back. Mold, you know, you can do yeah. anything you want, it'll come back. The only way to get rid of mold is by changing the environment. So if you have a log that there's mold growing at the bottom of it, if you pull it out in the middle of the field, turn it upside down, have air hitting it, the sunlight hitting it, there's no more humidity because um, the sun is evaporating everything and there's, there's less um, humidity there, you're going to see that mold is going to eventually dry up and it's going to dissipate. You never have sure. mold growing in the middle of a sunny, aired environment. You know, It's always in a damp, humid, dark right. spot. Well, and, and, and you think about the follow-up to an antibiotic, right? Very often you'll see secondary opportunistic infections like candida, forms of candida. And, of course, because you're, you're altering the terrain, you're like putting 
dead logs, you know, no puns intended there, in your gut, where suddenly these yeast forms are, can, can grow. And they, they couldn't grow outside of the, the healthy balance when it exists in a healthy terrain or environment. It's part of the makeup of what goes on down there. But suddenly it's an opportunistic because the antibiotics, once again, that preceded it are devastating to the microbiome biodiversity, which when we deal, for instance, with silver as an antimicrobial, we find that we don't upset the biodiversity at all. So you can, you can absolutely reduce the microbial burden without damaging the terrain. And that's something that we need to teach the doctors around planet Earth because we're devastating patients and they're, giving rise to cancer, they're giving rise to fungal infections, even, again, as I said, by meaning well, because they want to tamp down an infection and get you through it, but they're just not trained in this. That's not happening in medical school, so they have to go outside of that training and get some advanced medicine training. Well, I think that this um, call to doctors to become more aware, I think that's a very important aspect, and I think more and more doctors are not getting to that point. They're starting to evolve and realize what they're doing is maybe not the best for the patients. Um, but again, it's, you know, not to, not to try to defend them, but they're also victims themselves because the doctors are just following the cookbook medicine that they've been taught and, um, and led to believe that what they're doing is the best thing for the patient. So it's a whole propaganda team, as we already know, and which I'll start back with the flexion report, but, um, yes, you're right. They need to become more aware of it, and I think more and more are becoming more aware of it. And, in fact, I'm writing a book, actually. I didn't tell you this, Robert, but I'm writing a book that will hopefully make them aware of it in a, in a way that is very painful and forces them to look at it, which is when you start looking at the financial repercussions to themselves by not making the right. It's a, it's, it's a book about if doctors did the right thing, how much better they would have their own life, their own finances, and their own uh, self-help because of practicing medicine the right way. And the, con- the, the cost of practicing medicine the wrong way, forget about what it does to the patients for a second. If you look at the selfish ego standpoint, doctors are practicing right. their own health and their own financial pocketbook by not practicing medicine the right way. I think what it's doing to their, uh, their psyche as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that, that book is long overdue as well. Well, listen, there's another thing here as we're ahead. we got about a minute before we next break. But uh, thyroid cancer rates apparently have tripled. Uh, recently tripled uh, since 1975 to 2013 tripled it's like where where's the focus on uh, thyroid cancer in terms of why it's happening as opposed to hey how many ways can we take the thyroid out of existence radiation or surgery right why not recognize what's causing the thyroid to drop into a cancerous state yeah that's a very very good point it's a it's a point that almost escapes you but that's exactly what the issue is why is it happening not not you know, we never look at the causation. We are always trying to deal with, and this is not just with thyroid cancer, but with everything when we're dealing with it, it's always a specific, you know, solution. We don't look at why did it occur in the first place. That's what we should be looking at. Why did it occur? Get rid of the why it occurred, and you're never going to deal with it in the first place. Exactly. Now, we talked about the use of selenium and iodine, essential fats, getting people out of autoimmune states as well. But again, these are comprehensive protocols that uh, beg a little bit more investigation than how do we kill cancer cells that used to be your cells that apparently went rogue and, of course, are obligate glucose metabolizers, as Dr. Vitar says so well. How do we reverse that? We'll talk about that. Maybe we'll get into the expansion of the definition of PTSD as it affects other areas of the body as well. And if you miss the show, go to medicalrewind.com. Of course, we also have the links to archives at robertscottbell.com as well. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. 
rock in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, remember, uh, we've got upcoming events. If you're not sure where, just check them out in the show notes, robertscottbell.com. robertscottbell.com. Our good friend, um, Dr. Marlene Siegel, who we had on one night when I was broadcasting from her place. Remember the doctor of veterinary medicine? She said, great show. Love listening while cooking. Well, why weren't we invited for dinner, Marlene? That's all I got to say. Anyway, we got a lot of broadcast healing happening, and uh, we're going to see Dr. Batar out in San Diego for the best answer for cancer. And uh, doctors of veterinary medicine are welcome to come out as well, aren't they? Uh, we'll have a great Absolutely. time together. Uh, also, uh, Toronto, Ontario, we've got, of course, Ty Bollinger. We're going to be there for the week before that in uh, the Total Health Conference. And, of course, Dr. Batar as well is going to be featured in The Truth About Vaccines, uh, which is uh, launching April 12th. And we have a banner, I believe, Super Don, you can confirm if we have a banner about The Truth About Vaccines available in the show notes. Or on the, on the site. Good. So I want everybody to sign up. You can watch it for free. That is going to be a game changer for the world to understand what vaccines are, what they are not, so you can make fully informed decisions about them. Uh, so, Dr. Batar, just on the thyroid issue, can't forget that in that time span where uh, thyroid cancer has increased, we've also seen background levels of radiation increase significantly during Fukushima and uh, even prior to that, of course, Chernobyl. So it's not surprising, but uh, that, you know, government supposedly wanting to protect the people don't talk anything about uh, how to prevent the severe damage from ongoing radiation exposure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. That's, um, you know, this is one of those strange things, Robert. I mean, well, which story is this referring back to? Because I don't want to get out of context because this is going to open up a diatribe and I'm going to go off on a tirade. Well, so it, it was what, just what? briefly referring back to the thyroid cancer rates tripling over, you know, since 1975 to 2013. There have been some significant events globally that impact thyroid health anywhere you are. Yeah, that's true. One of the problems, I think, is also that this misnomer that thyroid health or protection from radiation, just take iodine, you're going to be protected by it. And um, that, that's a very false sense of security because, uh, yes, that's true that radiation exposure will deplete your iodine levels, but that's not going to prevent you from getting a thyroid cancer. So I think that there's a, probably a lot of this, again, toxicity level on the planet increasing, and it's going to affect the endocrine system quite significantly. That's why you have more adrenal stress. I, I don't know about the actual numbers for adrenal cancers, but I would suspect that they're higher uh, you've got thyroid sure. issues. You've got a lot of the a lot of the sex um, hormone disruption. So you end up having more uterine cancer, more ovarian cancer, more testicular cancer. So if you start looking at all these different types of cancers and the rates of them, you would probably find that from the endocrine system standpoint, there is actually an over uh, there is an uh, over the normal increased level of cancer in the endocrine organ types of cancer, of which thyroid falls mm-hmm. right into that. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's not one thing that we need to do. As you said, it's not just iodine. I mean, we can acknowledge iodine deficiencies. Dr. David Brownstein talks about that a lot, too. But there are so many things. And if you're new to this show, and particularly when we do advanced medicine, just pick up the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Dr. Batar's international best-selling book. It's been out for years, I know, but it's just as good as the day it was written. And it has that impact to let you understand the systemic, uh, let's say, impairment of function. Due to things that are happening globally, we talk about the environment, the terrain, the milieu, the deficiencies, the toxicities, the opportunistics, all of that's there. And that's why, you know, we have hundreds and now thousands of hours together of discussions here on advanced medicine that go further into that. 
One final uh, uh, thought on the PTSD. There's a story about that. They talk about could it be or should it be considered a systemic issue, PTSD, not just a brain or emotional disorder. They talk about 10 different comorbidities associated with PTSD. Yeah, so PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, usually seen with with a person that has experienced some type of uh, uh, significant trauma, usually a sustained trauma. Um, Should you classify that as a systemic disorder? I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Robert? I think that the brain regulates the whole body, and it's it's the computer that's regulating everything. So in my opinion, it probably should be. Well, and and we talked about the brain and the heart. How did it impact the heart, right? How you feel your way through life. I mean, yes, absolutely systemic. There's probably no system that's not impacted by a severe trauma. And we talk about that homeopathically all the time. It's just now allopathically they're considering that everything's connected to everything. So we're going to have to wrap it up there. I do still recommend uh, CBD as one option for folks, and you can get it in all 50 states. Our friends at CV Sciences, we had Stuart on yesterday. But uh, Dr. Batar, man, appreciate you. Another great round of advanced medicine with you, my friend. Well, I enjoy it every week, Robert. We are on the seventh year, and I enjoy it every every week. Yep, we're on a mission to heal. We're on a mission from God, and it's a great thing to do together, spreading the vitamin L. And it can be intense at times, but we have a good time. Dr. Batar, please, let them what they need to know, or let them know what they need to know before we go. <laughs> that the power to heal is unequivocally yours. Yes, it is. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.